Welcome to the Being Known Podcast with my friend, Dr. Kurt Thompson. And my friend, Pepper Sweeney. We are here to discover and explore what it means to be truly known. Hello, Kurt. Hey, Pep. Here we are in the uh, wrap episode of season five of the Being Known Podcast, and what a season that it has been. Mm. And today we are going to be taking your questions that uh, you have sent to us and uh, we're going to be answering those questions uh, throughout this podcast and really have enjoyed this season, Kurt. Thank mm. you for everything yeah. you've brought to it. And, and so this is the last time that we are going to be recording until... Until? October 27th, when we will be recording <laughs> a live version of the Being Known podcast. Dude, talk to me. This talk to me. is going to be so fun. <laughs> First of all, we started this in the pandemic. We started this podcast. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We've not been in the same room together since we started this podcast. It doesn't feel like that to me. I got to tell you, it doesn't feel that way to me. No, me either. But I'm going to feel the difference (laughs) when we're actually in the room together. I know. Thursday, October 27th. Yes. It'll be here before we know it. Yes. That's right. Talk about where we're going to be doing that. So it's going to be held here in Northern Virginia at McLean Presbyterian Church, and it will uh, be the two of us having an opportunity to share as we usually do, and Amy will be joining us. We'll have an opportunity for our post-show conversation, and we'll also really be eager to have people come and join us who have uh, expressed their gratitude in so many like just overwhelmingly beautiful ways. I, I, I've had the opportunity for a while now to be speaking in different places, and it's just, it's just clear that you know, one of the first things people talk about is the podcast, mm-hmm. that they've, they've listened to. I, I, the number of people who are listening to you know, multiple of our seasons multiple times, finding it to be useful and helpful. And I think, you know, uh, just to be explicit about this, one of the things that people talk, a lot about is me and uh, not just <laughs> yes i said you said one of the things that people talk about and i said me was it was it <laughs> well they do i mean i mean let's okay i was gonna say something different i was gonna say something no. different but i'm no 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 no. oh no we're gonna go here we're that's no. where we're gonna go no 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 yeah because i i've had i've had a number of people say like i really want to come to the live recording because I want to be able to lay eyes on the most beautiful man in the world. <laughs> you gotta, That's you what people say to me. They're saying like, so in terms of the, the the interest, it's like the most beautiful man in the world and then our relationship and then the content. Uh-huh. Like it's in that order. Yeah. That's that's the order. Yeah. And I I mean, I, I can't wait to just watch what happens when people, you know, see you. It's going to be a thing. To, it's going to be a thing of wonder. It's, it's going to be. It is. <laughs> And it, well, it already is a thing of wonder, which is why people are talking about wanting to come <laughs> to see this to see this wonder yes. that has dawned upon us. But they, the people, have expressed their delight at how our relationship uh, is reflective of the content that we're talking about. And I, you know, as I often say, I don't deserve my life, and you and Amy are big parts of that. And I'm just so grateful for the opportunity for us to do this. And so we're eager for people to come and enjoy that evening together with us and uh, to participate in person. And, uh, you know, we would say that the, the very things that we talk about here, 
you know, the, the neuroscience and the f- spiritual formation elements of this. And uh, we, we talked about how the role of the body, but being in, in, in people's, in, in each other's embodied presence, uh, makes such a difference. We've talked about why the pandemic was hard on us in that way. And we've talked about how that has, that we've found ways of being healed in new, fresh ways as people have re-entered connection in embodied ways. And looking forward to that being part of, you know, an important part of what draws us together on Thursday, October 27th at McLean Presbyterian Church. Awesome. And the and the next day, on the 28th, yeah. at the same location, we will be there for the Center for Being Known Celebrations event. We should talk yeah. a little bit about that. Right. The Connections Conference 2022 from the Center for Being Known. It's a one-day conference that is going to feature four of my friends who are also extraordinary creators, I would say. These are, these are people who are nothing short of being artistic in the fields in which they work. Allison Cook, who is a PhD psychologist from Boston, who, and with Kimberly Miller, is the author of Boundaries for Your Soul. So Allison Cook will be speaking. Sajan George, who is the managing partner at Praxis Labs in New York, will be speaking my good friend, Terry Wardle, who has become like an older brother to me over the last five to six years, the founder of Healing Care Ministries and a deep man of faith and wise person of spiritual formation. And then Anne Halley, who is also a spiritual director, also trained as a nurse, uh, but made a transition into this work, into the work of spiritual formation and direction, and who has become in many respects a spiritual mom to me over the last several years. But these are people who also have uh, lots of experience and public presence in talking about the things that matter to them, about what it means uh, for the work that they do, whether it's in spiritual direction, or it's in leadership and business, or whether it's in the field of mental health how the process of being known is expressed in in the work that they do. And I think people will just be thrilled to be in their presence. So it's not just, oh, they're coming for information, but you're going to be in the presence of people who themselves are really serious about the kind of work that we talk about on our podcast that is so necessary to do in order for us to have a life of flourishing. So really looking forward to our time together. So if you want more information on that, go to... Oh, 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 oh. And... You are hosting it, right? You're the MC for this, which is again, people they they get yet another opportunity to, you know, yeah, they're gonna they're, to they're see coming, the most beautiful man of the world. They're, right? They're coming in droves right now to see the, the MC. whole weekend. The whole weekend is all about you, bro. Yes, it's all about us. <laughs> I'll tell you that right now. You heard me. I called it celebrations because you know what I'm. That, that, that's how I'm feeling about this whole thing. Right on. So head over to thecbk.org, uh, and you'll get more information on this event on the 28th, and there's also some information there on the live podcast. So that's going to be awesome. And, you know, this will be a first, this live podcast. Another first is that we get to say right now thank you to mm. our season five sponsors. You know, mm. Mm. Um, mm. this is the first year that we have had any kind of sponsorship on the program, and we couldn't, it couldn't have come together with a better couple of groups that, that mm. you know, I just, I just can't imagine anybody else that, that I would have been more proud to mm. be connected with than mm. Hun's Honey and Hope Heals, these two great right organizations, right? Right. With Hun's Honey, we are aware of the the ministry that they've had now for a number of years, walking 
with women who are coming out of really hard places, but moving them into places of beauty and goodness and creativity, not just in terms of their formation of, of their, their spiritual lives, but also uh, economically, vocationally, and the creativity that comes out of the work that they then produce as a community. These beautiful products that are coming right out of the hearts of uh, and 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 the embodied presence of these folks uh, as they do really really good work and they're out of their place in Baltimore. So we're really looking forward to uh, ongoing relationship with them. Yes, for sure. And, then, and yeah, and then Hope Heals, uh, our friends Jay and Catherine Wolf, uh, who we love so dearly, and it's just been stunning. I think uh, to see how God has used the travail in their lives to bring such unexpected glory. Yeah. Yeah. From the places that seem to be most difficult. I I, I love this whole notion that, you know, the, the, a couple of the phrases, one of which is they, they talk about how everybody has a disability. Some are just more visible than others. Yeah. And so this notion of, the, you know, the camp that they've created to create space for people to come where nobody has to worry about, somebody glancing askance or askew at them and this place of great welcome and hospitality. And after having had the opportunity to be there this past summer, just being aware like, oh my gosh, like this is where we come to practice for heaven. Yes. This is where we come to do this. And yes. so we're just so grateful that they're, that they're, that they are doing the work that they're doing and grateful that they've been a sponsor for us and really glad to promote the work that they do. For sure. And just uh, thank you to all of our listeners who I know are going to want to support them as they are supporting the work that's being done here. So let's jump in, Kurt. We have I have a list of questions here from from you folks, and we'll start with this one. And it is uh, someone asking you to talk more about shame and whether it is, or, or about shame being neither good nor bad. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't know if there was an episode in which we covered this explicitly. One of the things that we see is that first, kind of just developmentally and neurobiologically, that shame is a feature that, as we've said, emerges pretty early in our life at 15 to 18 months of age, we can start to see physical signs of this, that children demonstrate this when they find themselves in situations in which they are, as we, we talked about that whole notion of kind of the accelerator and the brake and the clutch in a standard transmission automobile. And then when we're in go mode and that gets sheared off without the use of a clutch, without the use of a, an attuned relationship, we see that in children we as parents aren't even intending this, but we can begin to foist this upon our kids. So early on, it, it, it developmentally, it, it, we see it there. And then in in the biblical narrative, we you know the the writers are not trying to explain where shame comes from, whether or not it's good or it's bad. But they are simply the writer is simply demonstrating that this is what happens when we turn away from God. When I decide that uh, I'm going to be in charge of what is right and wrong. I, I'm, I'm going to ascend to become the Elohim of Elohims. I'm going to become the God of gods. I'm, I'm going to become that. And I get to decide that. And I take over as opposed to being in relationship with God, in relationship with others. When I turn away from that relationship, when I move out of a sense of connection, this experience of shame emerges. And 
it's fair to suggest that this it appears that this is what has been built into the created order. Like the shame is a signal. It tells us something. Just like when I get nauseous, it's a signal. I don't like nausea. Uh, I wouldn't choose to have it. There's nothing good about it, but it, it is a signal. The question then is not, is it good or bad? That's actually not a question that the biblical narrative even puts forth. The biblical assume, narrative assumes it's present. The question is, what do we do in response to it? This is always the question. What am I going to do in response to it? What evil does, evil tends to take advantage of it by continuing to use it to isolate us and then further isolate us and then further isolate us. And if I'm not willing to respond to someone who's coming to find me, even in my shame, the very act of turning away from someone who's coming to find me only strengthens that neurobiological shame response. And so I think the question, when I feel it, when I sense it, uh, what we really want to invite people to consider is not, is it, should I or should I not be feeling it, uh, but rather to be curious and to be curious and ask, wait, what is this telling me? What is it? Maybe it's telling me something about something that I have done for which shame is the proper response, but perhaps it's telling me something about a response I'm having to something that someone else has done to me. Or perhaps it's even something that's being evoked out of implicit memory that has happened to me in the past. And so, again, the invitation is for us to be curious rather than, on the one hand, condemning, oh, I I shouldn't feel ashamed for something, or even I want to be in denial. I don't like that, so I'm just going to, like, bury it. I don't want to pay attention to that, so I'm going to burn lots of energy to bury that. But rather being curious gives us the opportunity to welcome it into the room in the presence of other people so that we can get behind the story that's leading to that response and then make intentional conscious decisions about how I'm going to respond in ways that lead to greater integration rather than greater isolation. I I feel like we had a sort of live session of this prior to the recording where I was sharing some things with you and Amy that, and, and just in that, in that process of sharing and you guys actively listening and then reflecting back what you're feeling, mm-hmm. I, I can't the, just, I mean, I know it's not, I still have things to deal with, but, but just the, the amount of relief that I felt in that conversation. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, right. Yeah. I mean, that's a perfect example, Pep, because, you know, if, if you don't name those things, you're going to have to burn energy to contain it while at the same time being present with Amy and me and doing what we're doing here in a recording. And it's hard on the brain to do that. Mm-hmm. Not to mention the fact, though, that after you have shared, which we were so glad to be able to have you do that, sharing at one time doesn't necessarily mean that's the last time. No. Right? Because of the nature of how shame works. Because sometimes things can happen to us that really are painful enough because of, of just the depth of what's actually happened. Right. And you said, you said, (laughs) this is not over. Mm. And you invited me to keep bringing this back as it comes up to keep bringing it back. And, and that is, that's a gift, you know? Right. Right. Well, I, I'm I'm glad for that. And like, I'll, I'll just say to myself, like, I have to have somebody like, I, I, I would need you to do the same because I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll tell you something. And then I'll go back and figure like, oh, that felt so, that just was so relieving to share that with Pep. And then 
it's going to work its way back around. And then I'm going to like, no, I can't tell Pep that again because yeah. like I should. I, I, you, but you gave me permission today. I mean, you, you literally yeah. said, bring it back. It's going to come back, mm-hmm. bring it back. And, and so yeah. now I can, and I will. Yeah. Right, right on. Yeah. Right. So thank yeah. you. Yeah. 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 Oh, you're welcome. And it's, it's, uh, again, it's just great to be on the journey. And I, and I think about how many times we have moments in our lives where these kinds of things happen. And the part of us that really wants to be mature and an adult and so forth, and we don't, and, and we don't want to be critical of people. We don't want to like, I don't, I, I don't want to, I don't want to complain. I don't want to do any, like, I, I really want to be a person of good faith, all those things. And it's easy for us to think, oh, I'm either one or the other. I'm either a good, a person of good faith and integrity, or I'm this curmudgeon. I'm this guy who all he does is complain about other people. And we have to recognize that, you know, in the language of kind of internal family systems that I, I have multiple parts of me. I have different parts of me. And I'm not just a person of integrity. I also have these other parts that like feel like, like I've, been, I've been hurt. And I've been mistreated, I've been misunderstood, I've been all these things that need to be able to come into the room to complain. And I might need to have to come back into the room multiple times to do that. But it becomes easy for us to imagine that because we long to be people of integrity and sincerity and all those things, that somehow these are mutually exclusive parts of us. But we, you know, the 42nd Psalm kind of disabuses us of this notion where David says, I said, to my soul, why are you downcast? Why? T- tell me about this. I'm, I'm going to be curious with you. Not not critical, like not what's your problem, but like, I'm, I'm, tell me, why are you downcast? There's the part of David that's asking the question, and there's a part of him that he's putting the question to. We all have these multiple different parts. We like to say there's multiple different characters in our play, and they come onto the stage at different times. And these parts that represent shame for us when they do come onto the stage, I, you know, now I'm like worried. Oh my gosh, here, here it is. And, and so I'm like, I, I want to get rid of that, get it off, off the stage. I want to be this person who, you know, does life well and treats people well and so forth and so on. And so, you know, as we've often said, like, why do we, like, why do we need 150 Psalms? Have I said that here before? Yeah, but go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, they're just, just like, why do I need to, like, why can't we, like, oh, 10. We, I think we can do everything we need to do in 10. But no, the Jews knew that they lived, they, they, they believed in a God who could take it. They believed in a God who they knew they were going to need to come over and over. And just like children, they, they, the children have no guile. They just keep, as, as, if they have a complaint and, it, and it's still there t- tomorrow, they're going to they're gonna bring it again. And, you know, to which Jesus says, unless you change, and become like children in this way, become guileless in this way. Like heaven's just not going to work for you. And so I'm just really thrilled that we have a relationship in which uh, we get to be children. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. So, okay, we, this, this listener asks, I, he says, I want to do a better job at noticing and coming for others in their moments of shame. Can you speak more on this? And how, how can we notice and come for others to take away the power of shame for them? I don't know that you can take away the power of shame for someone, but you can cert- Anyway, I'm going to let you, you answer the question. Well, you know, I, there, there's a part of me who wants to say, like, I, in some respects, the story you just told, right. ref, you know, is part of that, part of our response to our, to, to our person who's asked. Uh, first of all, um, 
I'm only, uh, I think you're right. Like our, our mission is not to take shame away from people. I don't, I don't do that. I, I, that's not my job. It's not only the King, only Jesus himself, only, only God takes things away, but he only does it with my cooperation. Like he doesn't just reach in and like make it happen. If I don't really want him to make it happen, if I'm afraid for him to make it happen, if I'm unwilling for him to make it happen. It's like that guy at uh, the great divorce who's got this creature on his shoulder that represents some of his worst parts, but he wants to get rid of it, but he's afraid to get rid of it. And I love Lewis's language when he says this guy's being approached by one of the burning ones. Uh, This notion like an angelic presence who's coming to kill this creature. And and, and, And the burning one keeps asking, may I touch it? May I kill it. He, like, and he would take one step further and the man would say, well, yeah, but yeah, okay. Yes, please. We, but, mm, and it's back and forth. And the burning one comes closer and closer because the man is not running away. He's not totally resistant until the burning one grabs hold of the creature. And, you know, this man is in utter agony. And then, well, I won't give the punchline, but then you watch what happens, what emerges in the wake of this. So we can't take things away without people's permission, but what we are asked to do is to be fully present with them. Remember, uh, you know, we're, we're tempted to think that I can help people with their shame by simply telling them, you don't need to be ashamed about that, whatever that that is. And of course, this is highly ineffective because my shame is something that I experience in my body and mostly through my brainstem and my right hemisphere. I sense it. And just telling me about it doesn't get rid of it. What changes it, what shifts it, is my awareness of your awareness and willingness to be present with me as I feel it. One of shame's most powerful neurobiological features is the degree to which it isolates part of my own mind and my neural circuitry from other parts of my mind and isolates me from you. For you to come for me is like one of the burning ones coming. Like, oh, I I want, but uh, it's it's like for you to see me seeing you while I'm in my shame. It's both, I I want this and I'm terrified of this at the same time. If I'm willing to allow you to come to be present with me, then I can have the experience of what it means to be seen, soothed, safe, secure, and have my shame be transformed in that moment. I can't be for other people in their places of shame. I can't be for them what I want to be for them if I don't have people coming for me. I can't give people what I don't have. And so the first first part of our response to our questioner is who's coming for you in your shame? Who's coming for you? That's the first step. Because that gives you a real time and space experience of what it means to be transformed, to be seen in the middle of your shame, and to be able to exhale. And with that, you learn that what the other, what the person who you want to befriend, who you want to love, who you want to minister to, what they need more than anything is not your information, not your solution to their problem. What they need is your willingness to be present with them, even to say, even if like, I can sense you feeling something and I wonder if you're feeling ashamed. Most of us like, we so don't want to say this that we don't even want to think that that's what it is that we're feeling because to name it, it feels it's like one of the burning ones. He's, like, I'm, he's going to take the creature off my shoulder and I'm going to scream in agony. 
But the very act of doing that without shaming them in the process, I wonder if shame is what you're feeling. And you might say, yes, I'm really embarrassed. You say, that just feels really hard. And I'm really sorry that you're in that space. I'm not fixing your shame. I'm not giving you a solution for your shame. I am joining you. I'm coming to be with you in that moment. This is what we talk about, writ large and writ deeply. This is what atonement, this is part of what atonement is about, at one meant. Jesus joins us, is immersed in not just our own individual stories of shame, but who we are as an entire humanity, which is why crucifixion is such a big deal, because nothing would be more humiliating than that. And it is in this space that God enters He just dives right into our vat of shame. And evil thinks that it now has the last word because it's consumed the Son of Man. And, you know, like we've said, it just didn't see Easter coming. And so this is the thing. When we are with people and we remain with them, this is Holy Saturday. I'm going to remain with you for for a period of time. It's not commando friendship. I'm not getting in. Hey, that's tough. Get out. I'm going to be with you for as long as it takes. But I'm not just going to be with you. I'm with you with my awareness that I want you to come with me someplace else when you're ready. Into a place where you are now paying more attention to me and my delight and love of you than you are paying attention to those neural networks that represent your embodied shame experience. And this is a thing that we must practice. We don't just do this one time with someone. We're going to come back to them over and over and over and over again because they've got a lot of real estate, neural real estate tied up with their shame experience. And they're going to have to build new neural networks that represent a very, very different response, even in the presence and face of shame, so that those very networks that they would say at one point were just representing nothing but carnage are now being transformed into something of beauty. That's been a theme for a lot of this work, the, the, the idea of coming back over and over and over again. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and as, as you're coming back, you know, you, you, you said we're all born in this world looking for someone who's looking for us. And mm. that idea of you're not just looking for someone who's looking for you the one time and then goes away. You know, right. you want the person who's looking right. for you over and over and over again. And, yeah, yeah. Well, I just want, I'll just think, like, that's just another example of why our relationship means so much to me. Because it's been that. It's been over and over and over and over again. And the, the, these are not things, the, 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 I, I think about, you know, in John 9, where the blind man is healed by Jesus, and then he gets all, all this trouble that happens with him, and then G, and, and the text reads, and when he, when Jesus heard that they had put him out, when he'd been kicked out of the community, he came to find him. And uh, I think about all the years, it's been about, no, about, what, about 10 years maybe, yeah. I think, now. Yeah. And I think, you know, it made a difference that we had regularly scheduled times when we were going to be together all those weekends. And, and those weekends, like, we spent lots of hours together talking about lots of things over and over and over again. And so there was a structure that, you know, 12 years ago, neither of us, we, Amy, the three of us could not have foreseen what it was going to create for us. But there was a structure that enabled us to become and to do the, to have the lives that we've had together. And so this isn't just going to happen. It's, uh, it's not going to happen by accident. It's not going to happen. Like we just hope that it happens. Like we have to be intentional and create the space and time for this to happen. And evil doesn't want us to do that. Right. 
because it, it because it knows that if we do, what's happening between the three of us is going to happen, and that's a problem for right. evil. Right. Yeah. Okay, we have another one here. Um, how do you attempt to reconcile with someone who believes that their shame is too great to forgive? Hmm. Hmm. Uh, so I'm, I'm assuming, I, I don't know which person is the person who carries the shame, perhaps, the, you know, and, and who needs to forgive if I'm reconciling with someone. I, I mean, this, this, does, this does bring up the, you know, we, we all have a threshold. We have a threshold of willingness to turn towards someone. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm working on a, I'm working on a new book project and working on the last chapter, even, even this weekend. And this, this last chapter is we're, we're doing some work in and around the, what we often call the rich young ruler and Mark's gospel and how there is this moment where the, and only Mark's gospel reports this, this notion that Jesus looked at him and loved him. And, you know, you're thinking like, I know lots of people, if they were to look at me and love me with their look, uh, I, I would love that. But can you imagine being loved by the Son of Man? Like, like who wouldn't just want to just, but there's something about the look that undoes this guy. And the look actually reveals that this is a guy who, at least in that moment, was more terrified of intimacy than he was comforted by it. And our shame can be heavy enough that it makes it difficult for us to be willing to take the next step. And all I can say is that uh, when we want to reconcile with someone who themselves are having a hard time doing it, there is only so much we can do. I can continue to come back to this person and say, I want to be present with you. I want to either seek your forgiveness or I forgive you or whatever the thing is that, that, that the other person is having a hard time entering into connection with. Uh, at the end of the day, it is still true that each of us has a threshold that we are going to cross and decide whether or not I am ready and able to move toward you or not. As clinicians, you know, we, we talk about how the one thing that we wish that we could control with our patients is where that threshold is at which they've suffered enough whereby which they will then be willing to make changes. And we can't control that. And uh, we can't do that with our friends, with our kids, with our, with our spouses. Like we're not in charge of other people's stories in the way that we wish that we were. And so I think tactically, there are a couple of things that we can consider. Number one, I think it's also important, especially in light of community, in light of the church, that we pay attention to the fact that sometimes things that I can't accomplish on my own, I want to bring someone else along with me in order to have this conversation. I want to bring, uh, I, as we like to say here, I want to build a bigger train. A bigger train that is not coming to condemn, but a bigger train that is coming to comfort and care, to create space for beauty and goodness to emerge. Because sometimes somebody else's shame is so big that they need more than one person to speak to them and say, we want you in the room. I want to be in the room with you. And if just me can't convince you that I'm going to bring my, I'm going to bring my friend or my friends, because we want you not to run away from us. We want to be in relationship with you. We want this to be new and regenerated. 
And, you know, it's, it's tricky. I, I do, you, you do wonder, like, whatever happened to the rich young ruler? Like, we, the Gospels themselves don't tell us the answer to that question. I don't know what, you know, what his final destiny was. But in that moment, it became clear that it was really difficult for him to allow himself to be received and welcomed by Jesus in the way that he was invited to. Yeah. You know, Kurt, there were several questions about confessional communities. Um, mm. Someone was asking, you know, is is it imperative that you have a licensed therapist? Someone else was asking, you know, what if I don't have a confessional community? You know, if I'm if I'm working on some codependency, is it going to be dangerous for me to get into a confessional community, and then that's going to become codependency? So I'm wondering if you can talk for a minute, you know, about confessional communities in general, and maybe touch upon some of these these questions. Yeah. Yeah, and remind me if I'm sure. if I'm not if I if I forget the, the specifics. I think it is uh, especially as we are thinking about shame, confessional communities in light right. of the topic of our season. I think that uh, anytime we have an opportunity to have more people in the room, and by this I don't mean thirty people, but that we have a critical mass of people of two or three others at the very least, by whom our story is deeply known especially speaking to the question about codependency. Am I then going to become codependent on that? I think that, remember, to be known uh, is not just for me to tell people what I feel in such a way that I will then get what I want, right? Uh, The child who comes to the parent in distress, complaining and so forth, the child does need to be seen, soothed, and safe. But remember, we've, we've said that to be safe means I'm not just being safe from the things outside that I don't like. I also have to be learn to be safe from my own internal impulses. And in our book, when we walk through that Hebrews passage, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, one of the things that that passage indicates is that we must first throw off the sin that so easily entangles and distracts us. Part of why we experience shame to the degree that we do is because we are engaged in behaviors that are not good for us, or we are refusing to engage in behaviors that would be good for us to engage if we want to live shame-free lives. And so confessional communities are intended to allow us to name all of what is true about who we are, what we long for, what our griefs are, what our hopes are, on the way it toward moving us toward integration, moving us toward wholeness. There is a direction that we are going, and some of that might include, well, you know, when I say, well, I'm not getting what I want from my spouse or from my boss or from whatever, and people in my community then ask me the question, well, what's that like for you? And tell us more about what it is that you really want. And if they're really being curious and I'm willing to answer those questions, I come to discover that the things that I really want from my wife, my husband, my sp- uh, maybe those things are reasonable, but maybe those things are also things that are speaking to parts of my own shame narrative that feel like the only way I can get it is if I get this particular thing from this particular person. And so the community itself becomes a place where I can begin to receive being loved in such a way that actually it is the very antidote for codependency. Codependency doesn't really get the opportunity to live there at all. I think, you know, we often get the question, you know, like, how can I, what if I don't have a confessional community? To which I would say, I want to invite us to pause and be curious about how it is that we're even asking that question. Because that question assumes that I don't have any agency in creating this opportunity. It assumes that I have to go, it has to be out there for me, I don't have it. To which I would say, that is 
evil actually exploiting the shame matrix itself, already telling you, you do not have what it takes to eventually create right. confessional community. To that person, and, 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 I, and I really get it, because we have so very little practice with this. And it can feel intimidating and a bit overwhelming and all the things. Like, all I can imagine is, like, there being some confessional community out there that I can go join where the work is already being done and I can just kind yeah, of Yeah, I was going to say, I know yes, somebody. I was talking to, to someone something. not too long ago, someone that you know too, who said they moved – I think they moved into their neighborhood. They had a family that was close by that was – sort of had the same, you know – with kids and, and everything. And they literally went to them, mm-hmm. frightened, but went to them and said, hey, do you want to do this thing with us? Like, do you want to do this thing? With, yeah. and exp- we really want to do this. And we, and they started a confessional community. And yeah, and right. you got to take the step. It's really scary. Yeah. It is. And but, but we would say like, there's biblical precedence for this, right? There is this sense of like God asking people, he, like, as we've said it here before, like, who knows how many people he asked before Abraham finally said yes? Who knows how many disciple, potential disciples Jesus asked before Peter, James, and John said yes? God knows what it's like to try to work with human beings, and we aren't very cooperative. God knows what it's like to be alone trying to get this project of beauty and goodness off the ground. And to which Jesus would say, yeah, this is really hard. And, 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 and he wouldn't say, I don't, this is really hard. Quit your complaining. I would hear him say, this is really hard. Let's try again. Let's try again. I want you to become the very source of the beauty and goodness. Even if it's just you start with one person and you keep praying and you keep asking and you then start with maybe, then you add a second so that there's three of you. And it may be a thing that you do for weeks, months, years, and in this way, you are planting seeds that take time to come to harvest. And I want to assure you that the Holy Spirit is in this work and is going to honor your effort. Although it may be on a time frame that you're not familiar with. Because we've been practicing for such a long time, just trying to, as quickly as we can, reduce my distress instead of doing the harder work of revealing myself in a vulnerable space that will give me durable healing and hope. Yeah, yeah. If, if you are someone who is looking for more information on confessional communities, if you, if you head over to the cbk.org, there'll be some resources there for you to get a better understanding if, if, if you don't if you feel like you need more information on it, on, on what that's all about, um, that's a good spot to start. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we're, we're actually developing some structure and some framework for how we uh, make that more available for people. And, uh, you know, one of the questions was like, well, what if we don't have therapists that are part of this? I think that one of the things that we're trying to do, both through the our, our work at our practice and through the Center for Being Known, is we're trying to develop models for how we can take this work that we've been doing in our practice now for a number of years and make it available for folks in non-clinical settings uh, in ways that can be uh, really effective uh, without having to have therapists in the room. Yeah. Kurt, great season. This book, The uh, Soul of Shame, is a, a great book. I'm so glad to have gotten the chance to go through it again, but not just to go through it again, but to go through it with you. 
Yeah, it's a great, oh, right great on. journey. My pleasure. That's been and, so fun. Uh, we yeah. will be back at some point with another season. But prior to that, season six. Season six. But prior to that, we will be doing that live podcast on October the 27th. And uh, so come join us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Thursday night, McLean, Virginia. All right. So those of you who are watching on YouTube, uh, Amy will be joining us here just in a couple of seconds. Kurt, I love you. Love you, man. Awesome. See you. This podcast is produced by Kurt Thompson, Pepper Sweeney, and myself, Amy Chella. Audio production and editing is by Keaton Simons. Video production and editing is by Mark Gould. Speaking of videos, each week we post the video version of every episode to our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube by going to youtube.com or your app and searching Being Known Podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, you can find us on social media at Being Known Pod. If you like this podcast, tell a friend. Tell all of your friends. And please like, rate, and review. Be well, be known.